place, but um, in the Philippines, um, a couple, January last year, we spent a good amount of time together, and then we were, earlier August, the year before that, we were also together, but that coffee shop was very good, but you forget, failed to mention the cake. <laughs> and I think the cake was the reason we kept going back to that coffee shop. Um, the cake was very nice. Um, but yeah, so we shared many coffees and some good times there, ministering together in the Philippines. So, um, I, at the moment, oh, let me start, go back a few steps. My family and I, we were at Christian Family Centre at Seton for many years. Um, I was the youth pastor there, and then in 2007, we relocated to Papua New Guinea, where we were missionaries uh, for nine years. Um, and after nine years, we felt that we needed to be together as a family. Um, my oldest son, who was 12 at uh, moved down to Australia and was studying in Australia, but we were still in Papua New Guinea. So um, two years ago, we moved to Cairns. Um, but moving there, we didn't know what we would do, but the Lord opened the opportunity for me to work for Pastor Barry um, and work with him and still be a missionary. So I still do missions work, even though I live in Cairns. So it's a tough gig living in Cairns. Still sweaty, still sweaty, but um, Cairns is a beautiful part of the world. So if you're ever passing through, you want to go to somewhere nice, Cairns is awesome. Um, that's my relief, for, but for six months of the year, I actually am traveling. Um, so into India, Myanmar, Philippines, Papua New Guinea, um, I don't know, maybe even um, Africa this year, um, and Solomon Islands, hopefully I'll get to Vanuatu sometime this year, and maybe Fiji, but um, that's my life, that's what I do, I love missions, love being involved in missions, and wouldn't want to be doing anything else, um, but... Yeah, so I'm going to touch on some of that today. So the title of my sermon today is Living in Greatness. Being made great and making others great. And we're going to have a look at a passage, um, or just one scripture in particular, but it comes from 2 Samuel chapter 22. And this is a song that David sang. Um, it's also repeated in Psalm uh, chapter 18. Um, but it's a song that David sang. And verse 1 says this, we're going to actually focus on verse 36, but verse 1 says this, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So this is a song that David sang when he got victory, when God got him a victory, and notice that it does say there, all, over all his enemies and Saul. Um, so in his times of victory, he sang these songs. And if you read through the passage, we won't do it now, but he's giving a lot of glory to God, giving a lot of thanks to God, lifting up the name of God. And then verse um, 36 is where I really want to focus. And is this working? Ah, oh, there we go. Um, we haven't quite got that working. What happened, mate? I'll just keep going. Okay, verse 36 says that, you gave me your shield of victory. You stooped down to make me great. So David, in all his splendor, now he's king, now he's ruler, now he has great power, he has great authority, he's rich, he's wealthy, and he's at a place at the top. In all of that, he's not actually saying, well, this was my great strategy. This was my great leadership. This was my great ability to network or great planning or my, my strength as a warrior or my fighting ability, he basically is saying, well, God, you came down to make me great. I got to this place of greatness. I got to this place where I am 
because of what you have done. The fact that you stooped down, God, that you came down to me. That word stoop, it's not a word that we use that much in the English anymore, really. Um, but it really is that bending down, putting our head down and coming down to where someone else is. And David had that picture of God, that God actually came down to him, that came down to his level, came down to where he was and lifted him up. What an amazing picture. That he's not thinking that his grandeur and his significance and all that he's achieved is anything to do with himself. Yeah, I know God used his talents and abilities, but he's saying, God, this is you, that you came right down to me and lifted me up. And if it wasn't because of you, God, I would still be that little shepherd boy out looking after sheep. I'd still be a boy out in the back sticks that nobody knew about. Somebody that nobody had any idea who they were or what they were doing. But God, you came down into my life and that's what made the difference. You stooped right down into my life and lifted me up from a shepherd boy and made me into a king. I feel a little bit like that in some ways. I'm not a king, but I feel like that. I, grew up, I was born in Alice Springs, in the middle of nowhere. And to make it worse, when I was born there, two weeks later, we moved to a place called Ernabella, which is really is the sticks of the sticks. Um, and I grew up there until I was 12. Um, and in those days, there was no Wi-Fi, internet, mobile phones, TV. Like, it, this was Australia, but it was the bush of the bush, the back sticks of nowhere. Um, and I think it's absolutely incredible. And I give, uh, rejoice in the Lord and thank the Lord that he took the little boy from the back sticks of the middle of Australia and allows me to travel the world to preach the gospel and share good news to other people. But it is because he came down into my life, because he came down and touched my life and changed me and put himself into my life. Ephesians 2. <clears throat> Ephesians 2 verse 5 through to 7 says... Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That Christ, that stooping down cost Christ, that coming down from heaven cost him, that he came down from heaven so that we could be lifted up, that he gave up his position in heaven for you and I to lift us up so that we can live in greatness, we can live in significance, we can have purpose and meaning. And I want to tell you some stories of some, let's see if this works. How are we doing? There we go. Oop, back one. Let me tell you about Jeremiah. He's a good, very good friend of mine. He lives and works in Papua New Guinea. He's one of our staff in PNG. He goes to our pastor's meeting, so he's on our pastoral oversight there in Papua New Guinea. In PNG, we have 16 pastors at our pastor's meeting at the moment, um, and he's one of the, the men that are there. He's not ordained as a pastor yet, but that will happen in time. But let me tell you his story. When he was a young boy in his teenage years, he got involved in drugs, in criminal activity, quite really had no meaningful life, was living in a small little village in the back sticks of Papua New Guinea and had no purpose, so drugs, alcohol and reckless behaviour was uh, his lifestyle. In fact, three times he tells me that he actually came very close to uh, meeting his death through an accident, just through reckless, stupid behaviour. Um, 
in one of these times, actually, his brother was killed. Um, and that brought him to his knees. But in that moment of him grieving and thinking suicidal thoughts and being desperate for, sad for his brother's loss, Christ stooped down into his life, came right down into the midst of his life and lifted him up, saved him, changed him, broke that drug addiction and then took him to Bible college. He said, I'm not staying here in this village, I'm getting out of here and he went to Bible college. He's got a grade six education, he dropped out of school at, at grade six. Um, when I got to Papua New Guinea, he had just arrived for Bible college. So I was his principal for a couple of years, and when he graduated, I said, why don't you come and be part of the training team? Come on to staff at Bethel, and we talked that through, and he came on to staff. Many years later now, he's actually being used of God to train uh, other young men and women for ministry and for missions. So he's one of our leaders in our World Missions Faith Training School in Papua New Guinea, training young men and young women to go out and uh, be missionaries. But all because Christ stooped down into his life. And if you'd looked at him as a 14, 15-year-old boy, you would have thought, what hope is there for him? What could God do through his life? But Christ came down, stooped right down into his life, lifted him up, and now he's actually going down and actually reaching into other people's lives and lifting them up and training them so that they can go out and reach nations. This man, um, I met him a couple of years ago in India. His little boy, he came to me, um, the man came to me, and um, he was basically suicidal. Um, he had said that I've, my Hindu beliefs are not helping. I've read the Quran, it didn't help. Uh, I need a Bible um, because I want to see if that will help me. Uh, his little boy was desperately sick. They'd spent all their money, sold what they had to get medicine, and they were not able to, he wasn't getting better. So he came, the man came, I shared with him, shared about faith, prayed for him, prayed for the boy and said, come back tomorrow, bring your boy and I'll pray for your boy personally. Uh, I said, come back at nine o'clock tomorrow morning and I'll, I'll do what I can to get you a Bible. He needed a Bengali Bible. We had Hindi Bibles, we had other languages of the Bible, but he needed a Bengali Bible. So um, I rang our base, said, get me a Bengali Bible, bring it tomorrow morning. I don't care what you do, steal it, do what you have to do, get me a Bible. So they got a Bible, got it on a bus, an hour and a half bus ride to get that Bible uh, to me. Um, so I could give it to this guy. That next morning, he rocked up, not at 9, but at 8.30 with his son. And we pray, prayed for his son again. And um, he looked a lot less heavy than he was the night before. And um, we had a cup of tea, and he was about to leave. I said, well, when the Bible gets here, I'll give it to you. But as he was leaving, the Bible came in through the gate. So I was able to take it from, from one young man who'd brought it for me and give it to him, and he kissed it. And from that day on, every day he read his Bible. Every day he studied the Bible. We have a team of girls there at that house, at, in that town who were going and visiting him every day, doing Bible study, study with him. And um, it started to transform and change his life. And um, about six months later, Pastor Barry and myself were there and we had the privilege of baptizing him. And he was our very first convert in this town called Jalpaguri, which is right on the Bangladesh-India border. And um, he now comes to church and I was there... Um, just a week and a half, two, probably two weeks ago now, I was able to see him again um, and just the delight and the worship that's in his heart and he's telling other people about Jesus Christ and he's come out of a Hindu background but absolutely loving Jesus and his wife loved Jesus, she was baptised the same day and um, the little boy just sits there lost in the Holy Spirit as they, 
as we worship in church. It's only a handful of people, but he was our very first convert there. Um, but now he's actually sharing that gospel because Christ stooped down into his life, touched him, transformed him, lifted him up, so now he can actually touch other people's lives. So both Jeremiah and this man have been touched by God, stooping down into their life, reaching down into their life, changing them, and now they are able to reach out and touch other people's lives. To me, that's what missions, that's what evangelism really is. It's us taking the blessings and the favor of God in our life and taking that and reaching into other people's lives, helping restore other people's lives, being part of God's work of restoration and reaching into their lives. So that's, to me, that is missions, that is evangelism, that's what it is. So I want to ask you, what can you do? What are you doing to, um, to stoop down into other nations, to stoop down into other people's lives, to, to, to turn what Christ has done for you and then turn that into a blessing and a favor and to reaching into the lives of others? Each one of us has a way and it can be involved in some way. I know here as a church, you're involved in many different uh, mission activities and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Don't just see that as money or a or finance, or a bottom line in a, on a spreadsheet, um, but see it as actually lives that are being changed, that you giving up something, your cash, your finance, so that another life can be changed and transformed. And I'm sure all those groups and organizations that are involved with, and I think some of it goes to um, the, the home in Sri Lanka, you are really transforming lives there. Those children's lives are being transformed because people are stooping down, people are going and being part of the lives of those children and transforming them. So what about you, stooping down into somebody else's life? I'm telling stories about other nations, but there's people across the street, there's people at work, there's people all around us that need a touch from God, and maybe God has just put you in that place where you could reach into somebody else's life. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, You know that our Lord Jesus Christ was kind enough to give up all His riches and become poor, so that we could become rich. Wow. If you read the context of this passage, this is actually Paul challenging people about giving um, and finance. And, um, but he, he says this, like when we get that revelation, he's really challenging the church, when you get the revelation of the riches that Christ had and what he gave up and how poor he became so that we could become rich, our natural response is to actually to give up for others, for us to sacrifice for others, for us to um, desire that others would know Christ and that we would then reach into our pockets financially, maybe with time, with other things, to give of ourselves so that others can be lifted up into to greatness. The only way we would understand how much Christ gave up for us is, oh, sorry, we will do this we will sacrifice, we will give up, we will give for others when we realize how much Christ gave up for us. When we fully get that revelation, not just a mental idea of it, but an emotional idea of it, an, an idea that touches every part of our being and we understand it at that level. Paul said, I pray that you get a revelation, that you grasp, that you comprehend how awesome the love of God is. That when we get that, that's then we're able to sacrificially give. 
financially. Maybe some of you feel a desire to be missionaries and go to the nations. I pray that you do. That would be absolutely awesome. But Christ gave up for you, for me. He left heaven, the riches of heaven. And I don't know if we fully comprehend that, but all that Christ gave up and the poorness that he brought upon himself so that we could be rich. And now in return, he asks us to do the same. In Genesis 12, verse 2 to 3, God is talking to Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make you significant. I'm going to make you a blessing, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you a blessing so that you can be a blessing to others. It says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse, and all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. God is saying to Abraham, I have picked you out. I've stooped down into your life. I'm blessing you. I've poured out the riches of heaven upon your life, not for yourself. Yes, you get the benefit, but not for yourself. It's so that you can bless others. And we know that the nation of Israel um, throughout history didn't quite get that picture. They didn't quite get that comprehending that they were actually there to be a blessing to other nations and it ended up being all about themselves at various stages, and particularly at the time when Jesus came. The temple and the worship and everything was so self-focused that they had lost their focus of actually being a leadership nation for nations. They'd lost their vision of actually being a blessing to the, the greater nations. But that blessing and that favor is a command or a blessing and a favor which is upon each one of our lives as seeds of Abraham, as children of Abraham, that we are blessed to be a great blessing to others. To bless the nations. Let me tell you some more stories about some people that are doing this. In the middle, there's a girl named Pernama, and this photo was taken about a week or two weeks ago, and Chubby is on the left and Hannah is on the right. We have, in India, we have sent these, there's another girl with them, as well, these four girls, we have sent them to a place called Infal. Infal is right on the uh, India and Myanmar border. It's about 70 k's from the border. But it's a border state and it's the capital of that, of that state. It's a neglected part of India because there's a lot more Christianity there than there is Hinduism, but there's also uprising and there's a long history there. But this town of Infal, actually in the w- World War II, there was a fight for this, this town between the Japanese and the Allies. There was a massive big fight there. The the Japanese were coming through, the the Allies, which was the British and the Indian Army, were there fighting for this town. The only thing that stopped it from being lost was actually the British had planes that could bring food in for their soldiers. Um, And the Japanese had cut their line, or had their lines so extended that they couldn't get food there. So the the British and the Indian soldiers were um, able to get food and had strength, where the the Japanese lost their strength and were weak, so they got pushed back. But... um, a lot of history there in this place. And um, polo, the game polo actually started in Info. The British got it from there. Um, but <clears throat> it, So Info has a long history. But we've sent these four girls um, to start a Bible school, an evangelism training school in the town of Info to train uh, girls who are coming from the villages, the remote parts of the mountains, are coming in to be trained to do the work of evangelism. Um, and they will then go back to their churches and to their villages and do evangelism work. Um, but these are just Hannah on the, the right. She's like 19 years of age. She hasn't quite finished her Bible college or her Bible school training with us. 
Um, she's a second-year student who's meant to finish, but we said, well, you're ready now. We'll send you out anyway. Um, we'll do something for your graduation. They're meant to graduate in June, um, but we needed manpower, and Chubby's the same, so we've sent them out. They've taken a step of faith. Um, I, <clears throat> my trip to India was to take them from the Bible school in West Bengal and take them across to, to Imphal, which was a 12-hour bus ride and then an eight-hour wait at the airport and a one-hour flight to, um, to get there. So I took them across the three girls. It was their very first time to fly on a plane. Um, so one of the girls was absolutely terrified. So she said, can I hold your hand? <laughs> so I'm sitting there, she's holding my hand on the plane because she's absolutely freaked out about actually flying on a plane. Um, but even though it's India, the language that they speak in Infal is mostly English and, um, and a local dialect, a local language. So these girls are not from there, so they're, and they don't speak a lot of English, um, so they're pretty intimidated, they're pretty scared, um, but boldly, courageously going by faith to, um, to train, to train people for the work of evangelism, um, because they want to reach out. They know what Christ has done for them. And most of the girls, I think one of them comes from a Christian background, but the other three girls come from a background where their family stories are pretty devastating. Um, they've got tragedy in their family, they've got, uh, they don't have a Christian heritage or a Christian background in their family, um, but they know what Christ has done for them and they're willing to um, reach out to others, to leave the comforts and leave their families and leave what they know to go and minister the gospel, train others to, to be impacted with the message of Jesus Christ. So... I had the privilege of taking them there, getting them set up and sorting out a whole heap of practical things. It wasn't a lot of preaching this trip. It was a lot of practical things, buying beds and organizing water tanks and all sorts of things that needed so the girls could be set up and that the students will start. So that school's going to start in about a month's time. Um, but you can pray for them. They're our info team. <clears throat> Why I was there, I preached on, um, I preached on the Sunday service in um, the man in the middle, his name is Pastor Daimai, and um, he's not part of the CRC, but we've connected with him and have a partnership with him, so the school is, the students are going to go to his church and we're going to work with him, but he, um, the man on the right, Robertson, he was at his church on the Sunday morning that I preached, and um, on that Sunday morning after the service, he came up and I started to speak to him, his English is actually very good, um, so we're able to communicate quite well, um, and he said, I'm a Hindu, but I'm interested in what you're saying. And over the last month or month and a half, he'd been to church twice, and this was the third time he was there. And so I just started to speak to him. And he says, I'm trying to read the Bible, but I don't understand. I said, well, how are you reading it? And he said, oh, I'm using a, using a Bible app on his, on his mobile phone. So I said, oh, what version? He said, the King James. I said, nobody understands the King James. Nobody gets it. Let me, let me show you. So we, I worked, showed him how to change the app to actually the NIV or um, contemporary English or something that he actually could read and understand. Um, but he, he was saying, as I close my eyes, I see Jesus. I have this picture of Jesus. When I, when I close my eyes, um, God is speaking to me. I'm just seeing this. I said, oh, can I pray for you? So I just prayed a general prayer for him. And as I was praying, just the Holy Spirit was touching him. He was crying. And there was just this sense of the power of God upon him. Um, so I said to him, well, I've got to go now, but can, do you want to come and meet me during the week? Come and find me out, come and we'll have some more time together, we'll do some Bible study together. So the next, <clears throat> on the Friday he came to me and um, we met and we talked and um, he just started to share and I said, he started to share how he was being secretive about his discovering Jesus and reading his Bible because his wife's a Hindu, his family's Hindu and he doesn't know how to deal with that. And I said, ah, I know a story about a man 
who came to Jesus secretly. His name's Nicodemus. He came in under the cover of dark when no one could see him. So everybody else couldn't see what he was doing. But we talked about that story and about being born again and what it meant. And he had all these, all these different questions um, because he'd been studying and reading the scriptures and was able just to lead him to a, in the sinner's prayer. And I started to talk about the sinner's prayer and the need for that. And he says, when can I do that? Can I do that now? Can I do that now? I said, sure. So we led him in that. And just the sense of the Spirit of God touching him and bringing him to, to the point of salvation. So I had the privilege of helping him cross the line, but God was reaching down right into his life um, by his Holy Spirit. He was giving him visions. He was seeing Christ. The Spirit of God was touching him. It was so real. Um, so that was not Friday a couple of days ago, but that was the Friday before that. So that was a good day for me. I got to lead this Hindu man to Christ, and now he's a Christian and a believer in Jesus Christ. And um, So his next act was to, uh, he had a car, um, and we don't have a car in India where we are, so he was able to take uh, Purnima and Mary, who was there, out and do some shopping and drive them around and take them to the bank, which saved them hours of time. cost him hours, but saved them hours of time. So um, he just wanted to, to help, the, help the workers of God, people serving the Lord. So um, that was awesome. So that was an awesome time for me. But it's, again, Christ stooping down, people reaching out, people leaving their comfort so that they can go into the lives and touch the lives of others. Just back a couple of verses. David has, gives us another revelation in verse 20 of chapter 22. It just gives us another picture that David has. He says, David says this, He rescued me because he delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Do you know that the Lord delights in you? That he rescued you because, he, not because he felt sorry for you, he felt, felt some sort of, oh, you poor thing, or some sort of tragedy for you, but he delights in you. He's delighted to rescue you. He's delighted to save you. He's delighted to have you part of his family. Not based on how educated you are, or how much money you have, or, or how good looking you are, but based on his delight that he takes in you. The Lord delights in you. He's pleased with you. Whether you delight in yourself or not, you may look in the mirror and not feel that delighted. Especially in the morning before you put your makeup on and all those sorts of things or whatever you do. But you may look and not feel delight. You may feel disappointed, discouraged, frustrated, anger, disappointment. All sorts of feelings may come up in you when you look in the mirror. But let me tell you, when the Lord looks, in, looks at you, He's delighted. When I look in the mirror, I have this moment. My ears are not quite level. And... I have this moment at the hairdressers when they're cutting my sideburns. Most of them, if they're doing their job properly, will line up their fingers and realize, hang on, this guy's ears are not level. And then they have this awkward moment of, do I say something or don't I say something to this fellow about his ears not being quite level? Um, but even though my ears are not level, the Lord delights in me. So I don't know what your abnormality is or the thing is that you don't delight in yourself about, but let me tell you, the Lord delights in you. And the Lord delights in me, even if my ears are not level. There's many other things that I'm not delighted about in my own life, but the Lord delights in me, and He delights in you. And if you have any other thinking, push that out. Get rid of it. Don't allow it to be a predominant thought in your, in your thinking. The Lord delights in you. Man, He loves you so much. He delights in you. He takes pleasure in you. David understood that. You rescued me, Lord, because you delight in me. And the Lord wants to rescue you. 
He wants to make you great. He wants to lift you to a place of greatness. Why? Because He delights in you. You're His treasure. You're His precious. You're special to Him. It says there back in verse 36 that He lifted Him up. He lifted me up. You stooped down and lifted me up into greatness. The Lord wants you to be to be great, whether that's a great mother, a great father, a great CEO, a great doctor, a great businessman, a great whatever it is. But God wants you to be great. He wants you to be great at following His call on your life as well. To me, greatness is being obedient to the call of God, whatever that means for you. If that means being a doctor, if it means being a nurse, a mechanic, uh, being an educator, uh, whatever that means to you, whether it means being a pastor or a missionary, responding to that call and being obedient to His call and purpose for your life. So God called me not to, to success or comfort, but to obedience. He stooped down, reached into my life so that I would be great. And to me, greatness is defined as obedience to Christ. Greatness to me is not defined by the size of my car or the type of car that I drive or the house that I live in or the, the numbers in my bank balance. It is defined by how obedient I am to Jesus Christ. And that is the case for each and every one of us. Obedience to Christ is the de definition and defining what is great. Seeking the praises of Christ alone. John 12 verse 43 talks about people who are looking after, the, looking for and wanting the praises of man. Me, I want just the praises of God. I want the praises of one, the one who truly matters, my Father in heaven. I want him to recognize and say, yes, yes, you've done what I wanted you to do. Yes, you've obeyed my call. Now, regardless of the cost or the sacrifice or whatever that might look like, God, I obeyed you. I gave up for you. I followed your call. I was obedient to your call. That is greatness. I think if we understand that and we understand and walk in the victory that Christ has for us, that verse 36 says, Paul, um, David was saying, well, you, your shield of faith led me into victory, that shield of faith and victory that is ours in Christ. If we walk in that victory, if we understand the victory that Christ has for us, we will walk as giants in this world. We will be influencers in this world. We will have an impact on society and communities and thinking patterns, on the education systems. If we walk as giants in this world, if we walk in the victory that Christ stooped down and gave for us, if we walk in that understanding of the victory that we have in Christ. David understood it. He says, I, this victory that I have, this what I have is because of you, Christ. The influence that I have is because of you, Jesus, because you came down and lifted me up. And if each one of us in this world, in our sphere of influence, walk as giants, walk in the victory that Christ has won for us, man, we will be a significant force for the kingdom. We will impact businesses. We will impact education systems. We'll impact communities and government and society. As we know what Christ stooped down and lifted us up into, a great victory over all our enemies. And whether those enemies are internal or external, whether there are no insecurities or fears or sickness or troubles, whether they're inside or outside, Christ has won a victory for us over our enemies. And our biggest enemy is sin. 
Our biggest enemy truly is our sin nature. But Christ won a victory over that for all mankind. He won a victory over that for you and for me. And I'm so thankful for it. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. What a promise. That our sin, a great exchange took place. That our sinfulness, our rebelliousness, our laziness, our slackness, all of that that is not of God was put upon Christ so that we could get His righteousness, right relationship, right standing with God, victory with Christ. Oh man, what a promise. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says that thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphant procession in Christ. And he makes us a fragrant offering, a great smell to those around us. That's my translation of that verse. I didn't quote that exactly right for those who know that verse off by heart. Um, But the promise there is that Christ leads us into victory. He promises to lead us into victory. David understood the victories that he got over his enemy was that Christ had led him into those victories. Christ on the cross got a victory for you and I and leads us into those victories still today. And maybe you don't feel victorious. Maybe there's areas in your life where you think, man, I don't feel like I'm living in the victory. But Christ has promised to lead us into victory. Christ has promised to lead us in triumph, into triumph so that we can be a sweet smell to the people around us. Ah, tell the person next to you, you smell good. Even if you have to lie, just say it. Even if it's a lie, I give you permission to lie in church today. I think all the teenagers have gone, so you're probably okay. <laughs> I have teenage boys. They don't always smell good. Um, but you smell good. You're a great smell. You're a great blessing. You're a great favor to where God has placed you in this world. I want to encourage you this morning. Stoop down for others. Live in that greatness. Live in the fullness of the victory that Christ has for you. And then... Stoop down into the lives of others and lift them up. Put yourself down. Do, become less so others can become great. This is what Christ did for us. And Ephesians 2 tells us to have that same sort of mindset. It goes against our culture. Our culture says, lift yourself up, get the biggest position, get the biggest name, get the biggest bank balance, do everything to create something for yourself. It goes against all of that and says, okay, I will give up something so that I can lift others up so others can become rich in the things of God so I encourage you whatever that means to you however you can do that practically whether that's financially for those of you of you that can give into missions I want to encourage you to keep doing that and maybe think man what else could I do could I give up something else so that somebody else in another nation in those children's homes in Sri Lanka or um, all the other fields that you touch through the missions work that you're involved with that it's real lives that are being touched as people are being sent. And I know you sacrificially are giving so others can go. But could you do a bit more? Is there something, is the Lord prompting you? Say, oh, I could do this. I could touch that area. Or maybe you could go on a missions trip. I think Ben and Becca are planning to go back to the Philippines. I'm doing a plug for your Philippines trip sometime. Um, but maybe you could go with them and be involved in going to a nation where you're reaching out in the lives of somebody else to minister and share, be a friend. You might think, well, I'm not a great preacher. Just go and be a friend. People are looking for friends. Go and be a friend. Share with them. Spend life with them. Get to know people. Encourage you with that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.
We thank you for the revelation that uh, David got, that the victories that he had, the greatness that he had, was not, as of, not of himself, but because you stooped down into his life and you lifted him up to a place of greatness, a place of influence, a place where he was thinking of others and not just himself. Father, we thank you that there's been many, many, many Christians throughout the generations that have set an example and gone before us who have given of themselves, who have laid down their life to lift others up so that others would know the message of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for this church and I pray your blessing and your favor upon them and each and every one of them that as they are blessed by you, that you would continue to speak to them about what they can do to be a blessing to others. Whether the others are known or unknown others, others in other nations, other parts of the community, people that they do not know yet, but because of their giving, their support, their prayers, their going, that those people would come to know you and have someone reach out into their life. So Father, I just thank you for this church and I pray your blessing and favor upon them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.